Welcome on in to the Ryan Hickey Show right here, of course, on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Why is this Thursday better than any other Thursday, you might ask, on a normal week? And that is because today is one of the best sports days you can have of the year. One of the best sports days of the calendar because not only do we get one marquee event, we get two. Baseball opening day is finally here. One week after it was supposed to be uh, because of lockout discussions and the the entirety mess that went out in Major League Baseball, we are finally here on opening day. That breeds excitement. I don't know if you can really tell with the camera. I got my Mets jersey on, fired up for opening day. We'll give you season predictions. Can anyone dethrone the Dodgers, or really not dethrone them, can anyone take down the Dodgers, I should say, and put it better? This year we'll discuss in one hour from now. There's any team out there. Like a takedown Big Bad LA this season. But it's not just MLB opening day. It is also Masters Week. Tiger is playing one of the best tournaments of the year, regardless of who is in and who is out. The juice is real. I'm pumped up. I'm fired up. I hope you are as well. We got ourselves a loaded, loaded Thursday show for you right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And we appreciate you making us a part of your Thursday. We are coming to you live from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios. Now, whether it's great pizza, hot euros, and phenomenal dinners, make sure you check out BigItalyPizza.com to find a location near you. Let's dive into the big news of the day with the Masters teeing off this morning, officially underway at Augusta National. Getting set to make his tee time in exactly 90 minutes from now will be Tiger Woods. I want to discuss Tiger's weekend here because in anything, not just in sports, but in life, Right, expectations set us up for disappointment. We go in expecting one thing. Sometimes those expectations are met and we're happy. Sometimes, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's going to a friend's house, maybe going out to a bar you're not really thrilled about, and it exceeds your expectations, boom, you're living large. You are fired up and it is one of the best experiences you can have. But at the same time, right, for all the highs you can get with expectations being met or exceeded, expectations also set us up for disappointment. And I think it's very important as Tiger gets ready to tee off. And again, in 90 minutes from now, it's very important to manage expectations with Tiger Woods for this week. We got to remember, it's a miracle, a miracle, no joke, no hyperbole, that Tiger is even playing in the Masters this week. And I think we have to remember that fact alone when uh, when thinking of and devising expectations for how Tiger is going to play this week. Because for me, I only have one bar to set for Tiger Woods. There's only one thing in my mind he can do this week to make it a success. My only expectation for Tiger this week is at 10.34 a.m. Eastern. 88 minutes from now to be exact, him teeing off. My only expectation is him getting out of bed getting to the course safely, going through the practice round, putting fine, 
and being able to tee off at 10.34 today and get his round underway. As long as he can tee off, as really as long as he can finish, forget the weekend, as long as he can finish today's round, he can wake up tomorrow, get back on the course tomorrow, and finish those 18 holes tomorrow, that is it. That is my only expectation. That's my only hope, really, for Tiger. I don't think he's going to win. My expectations are nowhere near winning. They are nowhere near he and him even being in contention. Hell, I'm, I don't even think he's going to make the cut, to be completely honest with you. I have serious doubts. With that said, as long as Tiger plays a full 18 today and a full 18 tomorrow, he plays 36 holes, I think we have to call that a success. I think anything more than that is being unrealistic. Managing expectations this week is extremely important because from what I've seen leading up to this week, there are not many realistic expectations for Tiger Woods. Because what happened, and he kind of did it to himself a little bit, but earlier this week when he was doing his master's media availability, he was asked one question. It went viral. It got a lot of fans juiced up. It got a lot of fans jacked up. It was before he was even officially entering the tournament. But he was asked basically what his expectations were for this week. Here's what Tiger Woods had to say about that question. You've said countless times throughout your career that you don't enter a golf tournament unless you think that you can win it. So the question is simple. Do you think you can win the Masters this week? I do. I do. Those two words, I do, sent everyone into a frenzy. I saw a lot of tweets. I saw a lot of you know media personalities you know, gushing over that response, how quick it was, how matter-of-fact it was. He wasn't kind of trying to talk himself into it. It was very simple, very firm. I do. When it comes to whether he can think uh, he can win the Masters this week. I think that's dangerous. Because that had people believing. That has a lot of fans raising their expectations for what Tiger can do this week. Hell, that even has a sports book swayed. Vegas is buying into what Tiger is saying. That two-word answer, I do, not only sent fans and Twitter into a frenzy, it has sent the books scrambling as well. Because currently this morning, as you said here, Tiger's odds to win the Masters, plus 4,000. Well, that sounds long, right? That sounds massive. It's 17th. He is tied for the 17th best odds in the field in, um, in terms of winning the Masters on Sunday. I personally think it's unrealistic. And let's not forget, again, I started the show by saying what? It's a miracle he's even playing. Forget about playing well. Forget about finishing all four days. It is a miracle he is even able to be at this point physically where he can play in a tournament just over a year from that car crash. Let's not forget with that car crash, not to get you know too down here for a second, but his life is almost lost. There was thoughts at one point his leg might have to be amputated. He was completely shattered. You know, that is not that far off and not that long ago where this dangerous crash happened. And now, yes, it is a testament to Tiger Woods, his rehab, the staff around him, that 14 months since that accident, since he almost lost his leg and maybe even uh, almost lost his life, he is standing here at Augusta National ready to tee it off with belief in his mind that he could win the Masters for the sixth time. But let's also not forget, not only is this, you know, physically going to be a challenge for Tiger, but also let's not forget, if we actually look in golf terms, this is the first real tournament Tiger is playing in since November of 2020, which happened to be the Masters when it was postponed because of the pandemic. 
So this is the first tournament in a year and a half that Tiger is playing competitively. I know he played with his son, Charlie, earlier this year. He was in a cart for that. It's a father-son tournament. It's not exactly like you're playing against the best of the world with a green jacket on the line. That's tough. I know it's Tiger Woods. Maybe I'm being foolish and maybe I'm just being, you know, too hard on Tiger for, for or doubting too much for the best golfer that I've ever seen in my lifetime and one of the most dominant golfers in the history of the sport. But this is his first time playing in a year and a half. And we are now really thinking he could be in contention. We are really thinking he could actually win the green jacket. Come on. We got to manage our expectations because guess what? Even if Tiger shoots 30 over par, he misses the cut, not even close. It is still a massive success that he was able to even tee it up. That is my only expectation. So really, assuming everything goes well this morning and an hour and a half from now, he's able to tee off and play and finish the round, success. Massive, massive, massive success because that is really my only expectation for Tiger Woods. It's been a long time since he played. Physically, he's still not back at 100%. I can't sit here with a, with a straight face and honesty, in, you know, and being honest, I should say, and say that I really do believe Tiger can make the cut, can be in contention, or even win the tournament. Because we still do need to temper our expectations because I want to play something because yesterday, or, or I should say Tuesday, when he gave that two-word answer that kind of gave everyone else belief that he could win. Tiger, do you think you can win? He said those two words, I do. I want to play something that didn't get as much attention on social media that I think is even more important than Tiger's answer about whether he can win or not. This was Tiger. He's talking to Sirius XM uh, PGA Tour Radio on Tuesday as well, talking about the biggest challenge for him in getting back on the golf course. Preparation has been great. You know, I've been able to hit balls and uh, do all that stuff. And uh, you know, I, I can do all that stuff. It, it's just the walking. I mean, the, the damage has been done to the leg. It's, it's, it's tough. It's tough. The biggest challenge is walking. This is not an easy course. Augusta National is not an easy course to walk in general. But there is Tiger on Tuesday telling you the biggest challenge is not the swing. It's not the short game. It's not the putting. It is the physical labor of just walking the course where in golf, for the most part, most of these courses, that is the easiest part. The walking is the easiest part of the, uh, of the game. But for Tiger, it's still a challenge. So that, again, tells me and shows me physically he is still not there and he's still working through a lot. So I personally, again, can't see for how great Tiger is, not taking anything away from him and, and all the success he's had at Augusta National in the past, I can't sit here and truly have faith and belief that Tiger is going to be in real contention when just walking the course is going to be a challenge for him. Which again, I go back to tempering expectations. I go back to just saying as long as he can finish. That should be it. As long as he can finish, even just today and tomorrow, it is a massive, massive, massive success. I'm not trying to pour cold water on Tiger. I'm not trying to, you know, knock him down when everyone else is trying to build him up. I am just trying to do a service to Tiger, if anything, this week and to make sure and prevent any frustrations about how he's playing or any disappointment festering if he misses the cut or finishes, I don't know, towards the bottom and is never really in contention come Sunday. We got to remember how much of a miracle it is that he is even at this point where he can play. I mean, let's also realistically look at it. 
it wasn't official that he was playing in the Masters till yesterday. I know there was hints. I know he's been at Augusta, excuse me, for the last week and a half kind of practicing, and there was some thought and speculation he was feeling good and playing good. But he truly never officially was going to play in the Masters until yesterday. Even Tuesday, that same press conference where he said, Tiger, you know, that he believes he can win, he also said, I got to see how I feel tomorrow. I'm going to play nine more holes just to make sure that it being on Wednesday that I can actually finish it and play and physically be up to it. He's not even sure if he can do it. So let's just slow down. Let's temper expectations because that to me is the most important part of watching Tiger at the Masters this week. Whether he wins the tournament or frankly finishes dead last. This is a massive win for golf overall because he is just playing. And I hope you remember that when he tees off and again in just under an hour and a half from now. Tiger being back, I think, is the biggest win for him and the biggest win for golf this weekend. Doesn't matter if he's in contention or not. Doesn't matter if he makes a cut or not. Doesn't matter if he wins or not. Just remember where he was even just a few weeks ago. And don't be frustrated. Don't be disappointed if he plays and has a rough two days in Augusta National. So I'm curious your thoughts here. I'm skeptical. I'm a little down on Tiger. I'm doubting. But do you think Tiger Woods, let's just say, can make the cut? Can he make it to the weekend at Augusta National? Love to hear your thoughts on Twitter. Tweet me at Ryan Hickey Show or WWSRN underscore radio. You can write on Facebook. Our live stream is uh, Facebook.com. You could search us Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Click that. Throw us a like. Come on. You'll get an alert every time the show goes live. And, and the live stream, the show is right there on the Facebook page. And YouTube, we're live also on Worldwide Sports Radio Network. So love to hear your thoughts. Will Tiger Woods make the cut? What is your expectation for Tiger Woods this week at the Masters? We'll get your thoughts. And when we return, speaking of expectations. Wow. The Los Angeles Lakers fall short of those. No expectation could have prepared you for what the Lakers did this season. With that said, though, as we look forward and spin it forward, what could the Lakers do to get back into contention? There's one move I think that they can make. That is really the only move the Lakers should consider this offseason. I'll tell you what that is when we return. Listen to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show, where else but the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We appreciate you tuning on in an update from Augusta National. A little delay in getting started because of weather. So Tiger Woods, who is supposed to be teeing off at 10.34 a.m. Eastern, is now teeing off at 11.04 AM Eastern on a half hour pushback, which means you could stay for us for a little longer before you switch over to the Masters. So we'll discuss and circle back to Tiger Woods' Masters, um, not debut, but Masters um, uh, opening round kickoff and what to expect from him a little bit later on in the show. But I do want to hit on the Los Angeles Lakers because obviously their season, look, it, there's no pulling any punches. Let's just call for what it is. The Lakers with this team with LeBron, AD, and Russell Westbrook missing the playoffs outright. In a 10-team situation or format where 10 teams make the playoffs or at least have a chance to make the playoffs, it's the biggest failure in NBA history. The biggest failure in NBA regular season history by any team in the NBA. 
So now the question is, now that we know what happened, right? We kind of saw this coming for a while. Uh, you know, the writing was on the wall. It wasn't exactly a shock at this point that the Lakers missed the, even the playing tournament. But now the question is, looking forward, how can they fix it? How can the Lakers prevent this from happening again? And how can the Lakers be contenders again? I think there's only one move that they can make this offseason that will get them back on the right track sooner rather than later. And that's trading LeBron James. That, to me, is the only way this team is going to be able to compete even in the next few years. Get back to, you know, playoff contention before we even get to title contention. But I think you trade LeBron James, you basically blow this entire thing up, you trade AD, you trade Russell Westbrook, and you hit the eject button and reset. We look at it realistically, LeBron James's clock is ticking, he's leaving LA soon, and there's really no room in the interim to get any better. There's no avenue to turn this team into a title contender in the short term. So I think the best move for the Lakers, rip the band-aid off right now this offseason. Trade LeBron James, blow it up, and start thinking about your future. If you think I'm crazy, if you totally disagree, let me try to convince you and let me try to show you where I'm thinking. Let's just start with, okay, you want to run it back. If you want to give this team a chance, if you want to run it back next season with basically the same iteration of this squad, LeBron, AD, Russ, most of the same role players, but if you want to change the faces, the talent is still the same because there's really no cap space for them to get any better. So basically, if you want to run it back next season, if you want to say give them one more chance, what are your expectations? What is this team? A playoff team? I would say yes. I don't think they missed the play-in again like they did this year. That's for sure. I don't think it would happen two years in a row. But I would say a playoff team, but really nothing more. They're not finals contenders. They're really not even a a massive threat in the West. Like, you look right now. If they run it back next season, they're not better than the Suns. They're not better than the Grizzlies. I don't think they're better than the Warriors. The Mavs, I like what they're building right now. I'll take Dallas over LA. The Nuggets should be even healthier next year with the return of Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. Plus, Nicole Jokic is on his way to possibly being the two-time and back-to-back MVP of the league. I think the Jazz are better. I think the Clippers are better. So we are looking right now, realistically, if the Lakers run this team back next year, if they get one more chance with LeBron, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook to have success, I think right now, at best, they're an eight seed. If you think maybe, you know, you want to sub one of those two teams out or maybe the Jazz blow it up this offseason, fine. At best, a seven seed. We're still talking about a team in the play-in. So why would you want to run it back if you're the Lakers? Why would you want to run it back if you're a Laker fan when I can realistically sit here and point to at least, at least six teams that are legitimately better than the Lakers squad they have right now? I don't think it's worth running it back. And before you tell me, before you say, but Ryan, injuries. Look at all the games LeBron missed. Look at all the games AD missed. Are you really trying to tell me a fully healthy LeBron, AD, and Russell Westbrook aren't better than the Clippers, aren't better than the Nuggets, aren't better than the Mavs. This is a top four team when healthy. I got to, oh, excuse me. Again, that second time I hit the mic, I got to watch where my hands are here. My apologies. I got to tell you, you got to be realistic. If you run this team back, do you really think all of a sudden next year the injuries just go away? Do you really think this team is getting healthier? You can't rely on this team to be healthy. You can't just say, oh, this year was a one-off injury-wise, and next year they'll be so much better. LeBron James has played great this season. But guess what? 
One of the reasons why the Lakers are missing the playoffs outright is because he was too hurt. LeBron has now been in L.A. for four seasons. Three out of those four seasons, LeBron has missed at least 25 games. Three out of four. 25 games. Over a quarter of the season, each other, or three of the four years, LeBron has missed. You think next year is magically going to get healthier? No. Anthony Davis, as we know, walks out of bed, wakes up, and gets hurt. That guy who walked down the street in the wind could hurt him. So you're really t- trying to tell me that Anthony Davis, you're trying to sell me Anthony Davis is going to be healthy for 65, 70 games next year? I'm not believing it. Maybe if this offseason all he did was drink milk to make those brittle bones stronger, maybe if he just went on a strict milk diet, that's not happening. And let's go for what it is. Even with Anthony Davis, the limited time he was on the court, eh, it wasn't a difference maker. It wasn't the Anthony Davis that is a top 10 player in the NBA. He had flashes at times, but he was nowhere near the consistent dominant player that we saw at times in LA and we saw at times or or most of the time in New Orleans. So LeBron has missed 25 games or more three of the last four years. Anthony Davis cannot stay healthy. There's no sell me on, on next year. He'll be there for 70 games. Russell Westbrook struggled mightily. He's not a fit on this team. Everyone saw it. No one, you know, no one is surprised by Russell Westbrook's fit. And the bench was pathetic. So if you want to run it back next year, if you think giving this team one more chance is going to produce different results, that's the definition of insanity. You, sir, are insane. Or ma'am, if you think running this team back next year is going to fix the Laker problems and giving them one more year is going to make them uh, title contenders. This team is who they are. This 2021-2022 season is not an anomaly. How the Lakers are constructed, the pieces that are on the court, their age, all factored into their disappointing season to say the least. But I don't see how it gets much better running it back. So you are literally doing the definition of insanity if you try to run this team back with these three players. So for me, that's why running it back is out of the question. No. If you just want to be a playoff team, if you're happy with making the playoffs, fine, maybe. But the Lakers, they have their eyes set on championships. Championship or bust every single year, they're not happy with making the playoffs, especially when you have two supposedly, supposed to be top 10 players in the NBA when healthy in LeBron and AD. Making the playoffs is not good enough. I would not run it back because that to me is what this team is. A playoff team, a play-in team, nothing more. But if you want to tell me, fine, Ryan, keep LeBron, trade Russell Westbrook, trade Anthony Davis, move some pieces around, and try to build a team around LeBron James. Here's the thing. How is this team getting any better if you trade Russell Westbrook, if you trade Anthony Davis? Because let me ask you this question. If you trade both or either one, what are you getting back that makes this team significantly better? The big answer, the big, the big, you know, Move everyone say this offseason, trade Russell Westbrook. Oh, just trade Russ, get him out of here. Okay, fine. Trade Russ. Number one, who's taking him? Do you think all the other 29 teams didn't see what we all saw? We all saw it. Russell Westbrook's play and his style of play is not conducive to winning a championship. He's a guy who does hustle. He does, you know, he he does a lot of things on the court. No shortage of energy. But his style of Missing jump shots, kind of basically just driving to the rim, getting rebounds, doesn't work for championship teams. So no team with any championship aspiration is going to 
take on Russ. And for the most part, a Russell Westbrook trade is going to be a salary dump. You are going to trade your bad contract and receive another bad contract in return. So a popular one at the deadline that didn't come to fruition, but you know was talked about, John Wall. Where are the Lakers next year if you sub out Russell Westbrook for John Wall and keep everything else the same? Not marginally you know, better. You're barely a little bit better. But again, are we talking big time improvement? Absolutely not. So you want to trade Russell Westbrook? Okay, fine. There's an answer for you. I have two questions to ask is who's taking him and what do you can get back in return? And if there's a taker out there, all they're doing is taking on the contract. And you're going to get another bad one in advance or in return. So you're not even getting better. All you're doing is trading one bad contract for another. So you can swap out the names, swap out the faces. You're not getting much better talent. What? Welcome to the city. My apologies, folks. I am so sorry for listening to this. It's a very narrow street that I do live on. Someone must be double parked, leaving the car on, blocking the entire way. Very selfish. The traffic, you cannot be stopping here um, down the street. That's why someone is honking their horn off here at 9.31 a.m. on the East Coast. My apologies. Hopefully, they moved their car because that drives me crazy. Hopefully, that is one of the last times we'll hear a lot of honking on the show. But anyway, like we were saying, hard to ignore that one. That was distracting. You want to trade Russell Westbrook, you're not getting anything back talent-wise. So you're not improving this team talent-wise by trading Russell Westbrook. And Anthony Davis, like if you want to trade AD, again, team saw what AD is. He is someone who can't stay healthy. And he didn't even look that engaged and that dominant when he was on the court this year. So what are you getting back? You're not getting a top five player back for Anthony Davis. You're not getting someone, you're not swapping his talent for someone of equal talent who's healthier. But you, you know, the Timberwolves, for example, are not giving you Carl Anthony Towns for Anthony Davis. So you can trade Anthony Davis. You could tell me, trade Russell Westbrook. Okay, great. You're not getting talent back in order to win next year. So you can change the names. You're not changing the actual results on the court. So for me, that's why I don't think trading Russell Westbrook and keeping AD and LeBron or trading both AD and Russell Westbrook and keeping LeBron is not getting you much further is not getting you deeper into the playoffs than where you were this year. You'll make the playoffs. I don't think you'll get much closer. So I don't think running it back makes any sense if you're the Lakers. I don't think trading Russell or AD gets you that much closer either to a championship. The only solution for me for the Lakers to get out of this hellhole that they're in right now is trading LeBron. Because let's not forget, this is the highest value he will ever be at, uh, at this stage of his career again. You are selling LeBron right now at the highest he'll ever be again at this point. And by doing so, it allows you to get the most assets back for LeBron to try to start to build your team over again. Like I just mentioned, you trade Russ, you're getting a bad contract back, nothing more. You're not getting any good young players. You're not getting any draft picks. And if you do, LeBron doesn't care about them because he wants to win now. And those draft picks in three years from now and those young players that maybe haven't developed aren't going to help him win a title next year. Anthony Davis, again, I don't think you're getting a big return back, and it's not going to be the same as you would if you trade LeBron James. So trading LeBron, blowing it up, hitting the eject button, for me is the only sensical move it takes, or it is, uh, only sensical move out there for the Lakers to make in order to try to get back to contention. Because let's also not forget, we need to look at the future. LeBron James is not retiring as a Laker. That is the biggest reason why I think it makes the most sense to trade LeBron. If he was retiring as a Laker, 
Okay, fine. You now have a longer runway um, to build a championship team around him. And you could even look at next season and convince yourself that taking a minor step back and just riding out the Russ contract and before it comes off the books and you can just kind of run it back with those three and just hope that you know, you're know you a playoff team and then have your eyes set on 2023-2024 as being the year where you can reload and really make another run at the title. But LeBron James, I don't think he's going to be around much longer. Because as we know, he has one year left in his deal next year. He has, starting in August, an option to sign a two-year extension. But the reason why LeBron's not retiring in LA is because he wants to play with his son, Bronny. He has not hid that. He has said multiple times on multiple different platforms, his goal is to play with his son, LeBron James Jr. Bronny. uh, Bronny is draft eligible in two years from now. And LeBron has said, whoever drafts him, whoever signs him, that's who I'm playing for. So LeBron is going to leave his options open in 2024 to be able to play with his son. So at max... At max, we are talking about two years left of LeBron James in LA. Then he's going to one of the other 29 teams that signs uh, Bronny. And trust me, there's going to be a team that drafts him. There's going to be a uh, team that signs uh, Bronny. Even if they're reaching in the draft, even if the kid, frankly, stinks, doesn't matter. You get LeBron James in town if you're the Thunder or if you are a team like the Pelicans, for example, who, who are struggling with attendance. You, there are teams, the Kings, that need attention that would gladly take the bump LeBron James brings. So I would be surprised if the Lakers are at a point where they can sign or or draft LeBron James Jr. Bronny. I don't know why I keep saying LeBron James Jr. My apologies. And I think LeBron is going to keep his contract open toward that offseason, that season of the draft where Bronny is draft eligible. He is going to sign with that team. So again, we're talking about Max. Max, two years now of LeBron in LA. This team, like I just told you, is stuck. There's not any move they can make to get better right now in the short term. And... LeBron James is leaving in two years, so I don't think it, you know there's not many moves you can make in order to open up your championship window with LeBron again. I think he's won his one title. That's always going to get in LA. Fine. You say, thank you so much, LeBron. We're going to trade you, and now we're going to start thinking about the future because this core right now ain't it. I just told you before, if they run it back, they are, they are a playoff team. That is it. I don't think they're even a top six team in the West next year if they run this back. So if you're LA, you need now to look at the future. Look at the bigger picture. It's a lost cause with this group. So if you're going to be bad, why not be bad with some young players? Why not get as much back as possible? Because guess what? If LeBron James signs a one-year extension, he's there in LA for two years, you run it back, and all of a sudden things don't go well, and you miss the playoffs again, or you don't win the title again, LeBron's going to leave, and you're going to get nothing back. You're really going to be okay with letting LeBron James leave and getting nothing in return? I don't think, for me, that's the right move. If you're the Lakers, you got no draft picks, you have no young players at all. You are depleted at two of the most important areas for long-term success. Excuse me. And short-term success isn't there with the construction of this team. It is time to get younger. It is time to get better. It is time to hit the eject button. And move on from LeBron James. Trading LeBron, I think, is the only path for the Lakers to get back to relevancy in terms of winning a title and being title contenders within the next few years. Go through a rebuild, open up your cap space, get some draft assets back, get some young players back, and open up your team to be either an attractive destination for a disgruntled star 
or draft the next young star to build around for the next decade or 15 years. To me, the Lakers absolutely should trade LeBron. Think about your future. Don't run it back. It's the definition of insanity. Trading Russ, trading AD doesn't get you any closer to a championship than it does right now. The only solution for the Lakers is trading LeBron James. That to me is what the Lakers should do this offseason. That is the only move that they will be able to make to get back to contention sooner rather than later. So let's see your thoughts. Does it make sense to the Lakers to trade LeBron? Would you, if you are a Laker fan, be okay with moving on from LeBron James, who is, could win the scoring title this year, has had one of the best years of his career when he's been on the court? He's been tremendous. Does it make sense for the Lakers to move off of that and trade LeBron this offseason? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Twitter, at Ryan Hickey Show. At Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter. Very simple. WWSRN underscore radio is also our uh, network handle. If you're watching on Facebook, we appreciate you. If you want to watch on Facebook, you can find us at Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If you want to find us on uh, YouTube, I should say, we're there as well. Same thing. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Throw us a like. Throw us a follow. And comment on the live stream, should the Lakers trade LeBron James? We'll get your thoughts. And when we return. There's a lesson out there that we all need to remember. Not everyone is the Rams, and draft picks are still important. I'll tell you why uh, that is and what trade sparked that thought when we return us into the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. 20 minutes from now, really not even 15 minutes from now. Can anyone take down the Dodgers this year? Can any team spoil what seems to be on paper in LA Dodgers World Series and a breeze to the World Series? We'll discuss that with some MLB predictions 15 minutes from now as opening day is today. One of the best Thursdays you could possibly have. Masters teeing off today or underway uh, opening day is today as well for a few teams, including my Mets. Let's go. Opening day is still... Baseball's done a lot wrong. As we know, even just this latest lockout was just a total mess. Thankfully, it's a minor miracle, to be completely honest. They've only delayed the season one week. And we have opening day today instead of opening day on Memorial Day or in June. I do not have much faith, I'll be completely honest, in a deal getting done any sort of soon. But here we are. It's a great day. But one of the days baseball still will always have that is just better than any other sport and just there's more pageantry, there's more passion that's more special is opening day in baseball. The NFL doesn't have that on Sunday. It's it's a great day, don't get me wrong. But there's not that same feel on the first Sunday in the fall as it is with baseball. NBA opening night, hockey opening night. There's nothing that compares to the feel, the, the, the joy, almost the youthful feeling you get when opening day rolls around. It is truly a national holiday. It truly is. It's one of the best days of the of the sporting calendar. And I am jacked up. I am fired up here. So we'll give you my season predictions for baseball in 15 minutes or so for now. But I do want to hit on a very interesting trade. That I think reveals a lot of kind of where we are um, in the NFL world. And that happened between the Saints and the Eagles earlier this week. And I get there's a, a recent trend and maybe it is now quote-unquote cool 
to be thrown away first-round picks. We see the Rams have haven't drafted a first-rounder, I believe, since 2016, and they will not have another first-round pick until 2024. A very long time without having a first-round pick. They have given them up like candy, and we know now teams are starting to do the same as well. Broncos gave up first-round picks for Russell Wilson. Browns gave up three for Deshaun Watson. The Raiders gave up one for Devontae Adams. The uh, the Dolphins are giving up one for Tyreek Hill. As we know, or did not give up for Tyreek Hill, excuse me. Or they did. What am I talking about? Either way, my point is we are seeing now teams be more and more open to trading first-round picks. There is something, though, with this trend that has to be remembered. Draft picks are still important and are still vital for teams without a quarterback. All the teams that are giving up these first-round picks for the most point, uh, for the most part, have a quarterback. The Rams are, uh, are able to give up first-round picks left and right is because they have Matthew Stafford, and before that, they thought they had Jared Goff. The Packers can give up first-round picks left and right because they have Aaron Rodgers. The Chiefs don't have to pick in the first round again; they'll be fine because they have Patrick Mahomes. But for teams like the Eagles, teams like the Saints, who were involved in this trade earlier this week. Those two teams do not have a quarterback, and you desperately need these draft picks in order to get a quarterback. And I thought this trade of basically pick swapping between Philly and New Orleans, this to me demonstrated the Eagles get that philosophy and the Saints don't. Because as I just mentioned, neither the Saints nor the Eagles have the guy, the guy at quarterback. They just have a guy in Jalen Hurts and Jameis Winston. Does anyone think Jameis Winston is going to be the quarterback of the Saints for the next 10 years? Is anyone believing Jalen Hurts is going to be the next Donovan McNabb or the next Eagles quarterback for the next decade? No. There's not much faith, for good reason, in either of those guys. Which means both teams are looking for the guy. And there's only one way to get the guy. It's by using and trading in your draft picks and draft assets to get him, whether that's drafting a quarterback, whether that's trading draft picks to get an established quarterback. You need draft capital. And I thought this move gave the Eagles that, and, and their philosophy is, is spot on with needing draft picks in order to find the guy. And I thought the, the Saints foolishly are kind of chasing the ghost and made a huge mistake. So there was a lot of draft picks exchanged in this draft, uh, in this trade between the Eagles and the Saints. So I'll make it very simply. We're not going to complicate it and not going to bore you with reading off first round pick, second round pick. It's confusing, especially when you don't have it written down in front of you. It's easy to lose track. So essentially, if we boil it down, this is what happened. The Eagles had three first round picks going to this year. They traded one of those first round picks to the Saints this year in order to get a first round pick from the Saints next year. So basically, the Saints traded their 2023 first round pick to the Eagles for a 2022 first round pick. So now both teams have two picks in the first round, and now the Eagles have two picks in next year's first round of the draft, while the Saints do not have any first rounder. I think it's completely foolish. I think it's completely asinine that the Saints made this move for two reasons. Number one, you're only making it harder to find the guy, the franchise guy, by not having a first round pick at your disposal next year. And number two, I mean, this is a massive risk and a lot of faith you're putting in Jameis Winston, frankly, that I think is going to bite you in the ass. Like, so Daniel Jeremiah gave some background information as to what the Saints are thinking. He said he reached out to six general managers in the NFL, and the consensus was the Saints think they're a playoff team. 
the Saints are rolling with, for the most part, Jameis Winston. And their goal is trying to get two impact players in the first round that could put them over the top in a depleted NFC in order to make a playoff run. I think that's completely foolish. I think that is biting off your nose to spite your face. Because right now, when you look at whether you're drafting a quarterback or not, if you're the Saints, the 2022 quarterback draft class is not filled with many potential quarterbacks. Sure, there could be a surprise and Malik Willis could be the next Patrick Mahomes. But right now, as you go into it, Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis, Matt Corral, Sam Howell, nothing really there that really blows a lot of teams away and have you have um, scouts, teams, analysts feel confident that there is franchise quarterback material in any of these guys. But, 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 you look at next year's draft, 2023, that's a lot different. Bryce Young is a stud. C.J. Stroud is a tremendous player. D.J. Uwe Ungalale had a really rough 2021 season for Clemson, but had a really solid year backing up Trevor Lawrence before that. He's a very highly touted recruit. Maybe he figures it out, and maybe he has a Joe Burrow-like explosion. The point is, next year's draft has a lot more talent at quarterback and has a lot more players teams are going to be interested in and can feel more confident in that could be the guy compared to this year. So if you are a team like the Saints, who have Jameis Winston at your quarter as your quarterback and not much else, you need to find, obviously, the guy um, to be your quarterback. Right now, it doesn't seem like 2022 is there. 2023, you should be gearing up for it. But instead, for whatever reason, the Saints are deciding to deplete their assets in the 2023 draft and go all in this year to either draft a quarterback in the first round or draft two impact starters in order to make a playoff run with Jameis Winton. I think that's completely asinine. Completely backwards for what you should be doing. That, to me, makes no sense. You have, you know, keep your picks. Keep your first-round pick next year. Even if you want to don't want to draft a quarterback in this year's draft, fine. Keep Jameis Winton. Make a playoff run. But keep your options open. Keep your flexibility next year open. If you're a playoff team and drafting 20th next year, you could package that pick with a few other picks in order to move up in the draft if you have a quarterback you identify that you want. It's a lot harder to do that. It's a lot harder to convince a team to make a trade for you and trade down if you don't have even a first-round pick to give them in that current draft. And the price only for you rises. So for me, the Saints, because they don't have that guy should be stockpiling every single asset they have available in order to find that guy in next year's draft. Because as we know, Jameis ain't it. And instead, the Saints are doing the complete opposite. They are selling the future in order to make a run in the short term now. They are a you know, they're a playoff team, I would say. They got a lot of talent. But at the same time, I don't feel great about this team. I don't feel great about the direction of their future going forward. So it's a massive mistake, I think, to try to have some short-term glory here and making a playoff run in a depleted 2022 uh, NFC instead of looking at it realistically. Instead of looking at the quarterback draft class next year and realizing we got to be in the ballpark. We got to be in the dance floor. In order to have, you know, be invited to the dance floor to get on the dance floor, we need assets in the form of first-round picks and they are giving them away instead of collecting them. That to me is a, a massive mistake. Not to mention, you are now putting all your eggs in the Jameis Winston basket this season. Because like I said, I think this team on paper could be a playoff team. 
Michael Thomas is returning. Alva Kamara is there. The NFC stinks. Outside of like the, the Packers, the, the Buccaneers, and the Rams, which the Packers even got worse, and the, uh, the Bucks lost some key players. There's no one really that scares you in the NFC. And even some of the top teams have lost key impact players this offseason. So the NFC is there for the taking. But you are also now putting a lot of trust, a lot of faith in Jameis Winston. And I think that's a mistake. Because basically what the Eagles are doing and what they're telling you is they're betting that Jameis Winston is going to fail. Jameis Winston is not going to be a good quarterback. This Saints team is not going to make the playoffs. And they're going to be picking in the top 15 and the top 10. And the Eagles are going to collect that pick and say, thank you very much. Making our life easier. Making our um, goal to get a franchise quarterback in the draft next year that much easier. Like, you look at this Saints team. Sean Payton retires. You have Dennis Allen as a very unproven head coach. His one year in Oakland with the Raiders a few years ago was a complete, complete disaster. He is now your head coach. Jameis Winston, I don't trust. I don't know about you. I don't trust without Sean Payton. I get last year before I got hurt, he had 14 touchdowns, three picks. So he showed you in a small, limited sample size that he could cut down on the bad decision-making that he was known for, notorious for, in Tampa Bay. Well, guess what? Now the one guy I trusted to work with Jameis is no longer in the building. No disrespect to Pete Carmichael, the longtime Saints OC that's still there, still employed. I don't trust him to get the same efficiency out of Jameis Winston that Sean Payton did. So I am not feeling great, and I wouldn't bet if I'm a betting man, um like the Saints did, that I would bet that Jameis Winston is going to be more good than bad. I'm scared. I'm nervous. They lost, you know, they had some, um, their offensive line was hurt with Toronto Armstead leaving a free agency going to the Dolphins. So, sure, you get Michael Thomas back, but there's still a lot of question marks at head coach, at quarterback, on the offensive line, some of the most important positions on the team. Well, I don't feel great about this team picking in the later after the draft. It's a massive risk where, let's say, things go south. Let's say the Saints miss the playoffs. Let's say Jameis Winston stinks. He reverts back to his 2019 Jameis Winston where he's throwing 30 picks. It's uncontrollable and he's just a total mess. At least if you had a first round pick and you saw the the quarterback draft class that was there, at least you could feel good if you're the Saints. But okay, at least we, we are earning something through this bad year. At least there's a light at the end of the tunnel with a first round pick and a quarterback rich draft next year. Instead... You gave away the one golden ticket you had. You gave away the one opportunity to look at things on the bright side of, hey, we have a top pick next year. We have Michael Thomas. You have Alvin Kamara. I can't wait to put Bryce Young in this offense and see it explode. You can't even think like that because you gave away the first round pick. I don't get this from a Saints perspective. On the flip side, for the Eagles, bravo, Howie Roseman. Brought a little golf clap here on Masters Thursday. Because you absolutely got it right. You know how the game is played. The Eagles had three first-round picks. I'll be honest, I thought they were going to be in on a massive trade. Whether it's Russell Wilson, whether it's Deshaun Watson, I get both of those guys had no trade clauses. But when you have three first-round picks at your disposal, I really thought the Eagles were going to be big players in terms of trading for a quarterback. They didn't do so. I thought for sure, okay, they'll trade up to try to draft a quarterback. It seems like that's not going to be the case. Howie Roseman has not fallen in love with the quarterback in the draft. So instead of forcing it, instead of just saying, ah, hell with it, we're a quarterback factor, we're going to take one anyway. They're giving Jalen Hurts the 2022 season. Fair. But they're also now having a backup plan, unlike the Saints, where if Jalen Hurts fails to show you he can be the guy, even if they make the playoffs, but he still struggles. And I think they will. Like I think he will. You now have two first-round picks in a quarterback-rich draft next season to set yourself up 
to draft the next quarterback, the next franchise guy that could be there for a decade. So I think well done by the Eagles. This was an insanely smart trade. They know how now the game in the NFL is played. If you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a chance. The best way to get a quarterback is by loading up on assets, either having first-round picks enough to entice a team to trade a young quarterback or having enough assets to move up to get the guy you want, having enough bites at the apple to draft a quarterback that you want. That's what the Eagles are doing. That's to me why it's befuddling why the Saints aren't doing the same thing. The Eagles get it. The Saints don't. When we return here on the Ryan Hickey Show, opening day is here. Can anyone take down the Dodgers? Can anyone prevent LA from winning their second World Series in three years? We'll discuss that when we return us into the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Ryan Hickey Show with you on what is one of the best days, one of the best in all of the sporting calendar. The Masters teeing off underway at Augusta National, round number one. Tiger Woods getting set. Just about an hour from now, Tiger will be teeing it up 11.04 a.m. Eastern as he makes his triumphant return um, from a horrific car crash just about 14 months ago to now playing in the Masters this weekend. What an incredible um, accomplishment and what an exciting time uh, for any golf fan out there, even casual golf fans. Um, But also, not just is it about the Masters, not just is it Masters opening day, if you will, on Thursday, it is Major League Baseball opening day. What a great day to be alive. Let's go. As a reminder, the 10 o'clock hour is always sponsored by LC Designs. Charcuterie boards are perfect for all occasions, so make sure your guests are happily fed with some delicious and aesthetically pleasing charcuterie boards made by Lauren Clark herself. So make sure you check out lcdesignsnyc.com, lcdesignsnyc.com for more information. It is opening day, meaning it is time to get some MLB season predictions out there. Full 162. We got um, predictions for the AL East. We got predictions for the you know every division in the AL, every division in the NL. Um, as a important reminder, mind you, um, I try to just uh, ignore some of the honking that's going on out here. Brand new playoff format for baseball. Six teams in each league are now making the uh, the playoffs. But as a reminder, or now that that reminder is out there, let's get into some season predictions here. We'll go quickly division by division. I'll give you all six teams I think is going to make the playoffs in each uh, league. And we will see if any team can dethrone the Dodgers this season and winning the World Series. We're starting the AL. Yeah, at least for me, I'm still going with the race. Unlike the NFL, defense still wins championships in baseball. And by defense, I mean pitching. The Rays still are loaded. They are a stable of pitchers, mostly relievers. But as you know, that are just come out there flamethrowing that I think are going to really still suffocate a lot of bats. And what is an A at least, mind you, that is very good offensively. The, the Blue Jays are complete sluggers. Yankees have some good bats. 
The Red Sox have some good bats. So it's going to be a challenging AL East for sure for the Rays. But I do still trust their pitching. They got a lot of it. I trust their system. It's very unorthodox with the opener, with basically using, you know, four, five, six, seven guys pitching-wise um, a game. But I do think the Rays, I'm still going to trust them to win the AL East. I think they got a lot of talent. Um, and I still think their pitching is going to overpower a lot of the bats uh, in their division. And not to mention, too, you now have Wander Franco, one of the best players already in baseball, have him for a full season. Here's what the Rays for just 70 games last year. Tremendous debut, one of the highest ranked uh, prospects in baseball. He'll be there now for a full year. And he is going to finally be a real star the Rays can rely on. Right? As we know, the Rays are just kind of a lot of nameless, faceless players, plug and play, a lot of you know lesser known name guys that they make because of their system, because of the way they operate, make them better. Wander Franco... Excuse me, is one of those players that it's going to be a true star. So you look at the rest of the AL East. I'm not in love with this Yankees roster at all, either pitching wise or lineup wise. The Blue Jays, like I mentioned, are stacked lineup wise. I hate their pitching. I hate their pitching. I despise it. And I don't think still I can truly trust a team to win a division and feel good about it if their pitching uh, leaves a lot to be desired. The Red Sox just not in love with. So I'm still rolling with the race here. I'm going to, you know, one of those things where you got to beat the champs in order to beat the champs. I don't think anyone's beating the Rays. I think the Rays will win the AL East. White Sox here, I think, are winning the Central. And the White Sox are by far one of the most exciting, fun teams to watch in baseball. And it's not only because of their personality, because boy, do they have a lot of it. Tim Anderson is, a, you know, a, a, some, someone who really brings a lot of joy to the game. He was someone, if you remember a few years ago, when he was getting hit for bat flipping, really was outspoken and saying, why are we doing this? Why are we suppressing fun in baseball? It should be a fun game. Bat flips are, are one way to um, to uh, show that. And he has been someone who's all about bringing fun back to the game. So Tim Anderson, Yoan Moncada, Jose Abreu, Eloy Jimenez, this team and this lineup is loaded. But the thing I love about this team is twofold. Number one, I think they're very balanced. I just named you some of the best hitters on the team. They also have a really deep pitching staff. I like Lucas Giolito a lot. Dallas Keiko is a really solid back-end rotation pitcher. Michael Kopech, too, has a lot of good stuff. They'll get Lance Lynn back, who will start the season on the shelf, but he, again, is a, a really good pitcher from last year. So they have a deep rotation, a really balanced lineup. This team, for today's day and age baseball, is built perfectly. They're deep. They're athletic. They got power. They're explosive. I really like where this White Sox team is going. My only concern is their bullpen. And it got worse when they traded K uh, Craig Kimbrell to the uh, to the Dodgers this offseason. But I do like the White Sox here in the AL Central. They will get it done and will be, again, one of the most exciting teams in baseball, even if Tony La Russa hates it. The Astros, to me, are still the class of the AFC, uh, AFC West. AL West. I get now this is the third year in a row they lost a truly marquee piece in the offseason. They lost Garrett Cole two years ago. Last year was George Springer. This year, Carlos Correa. But with that said, they still got talent. They still got depth in this lineup. They still got Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, Yuli Gurriel. Those three hitters I still think will, will play really well and carry this lineup offensively. And you look at what they have pitching-wise. They have one of the best rotations in baseball. 
Last year, they had the second lowest ERA in terms of starting pitching in baseball. Now you return Justin Verlander, who I get at 39 years old, is up there. He's coming off Tommy John surgery. But Justin Verlander, even when he was pitching beforehand, showed no signs of slowing down. He's looked good so far in the spring. So I think this rotation is going to get even better. Uh, and the Astros still have depth in their lineup, where even with the loss of Carlos Correa, I still think they'll, they are the team to beat in the AL West and will get it done. So, AL West, I have the Astros, White Sox winning the Central, the Rays winning the AL East. The three playoff teams I'm going to go with the wild card, going to be the Blue Jays. I'm going to go with the Twins, and I will say the Yankees. Those are me, uh, my three playoff teams, as well as those three division winners. In the NL East, I'm still sticking with the Braves. The Braves have really good depth in their lineup. They have a really solid rotation as well at the top. Ronald Acuna Jr. should be back, bar no setbacks, by the end of the month. So basically, he'll be back for almost a full season for the for the Braves after unfortunately tearing his ACL midway through the year last year. That's a huge, huge boost um, for Atlanta. He will obviously help offset the loss of Freddie Freeman. Which, by the way, if you see reports from last night, doesn't exactly seem like the two stars got along Acuna Jr. and Freddie Freeman. Acuna last night on Instagram Live um, was speaking with a reporter and basically said that he is not sad to see Freddie Freeman go. That they did not get along. Freddie Freeman was very cold to him. And basically the two just butted head to time. Interesting to hear that you know two of the best players and two of the faces of the Braves could not get along. As you know, uh, Freddie Freeman... Did not return. He went to L.A. Team up with the Dodgers. But Ronald Cunha Jr. still back for the Braves. Huge, huge, huge boost. One of the most fun and exciting young players in all the game. They do get Matt Olson in a trade for the A's, who um, will replace Freddie Freeman. Now, he's not going to replace Freddie, but his numbers in production is really damn good. He's good defensively. He is, I don't want to say underrated, but it's almost like you forget how good he was last year. Over 30 home runs with the A's just because it happened in Oakland. But Matt Olson is going to be a really solid addition there at first base. His team is still young. They still have a ton of talent. Coming off the World Series, they will win the NL East yet again. The Central, I'm going with the Brewers. Kind of like the same theme I had for the Rays in winning the AL East. Pitching still wins. And the Brewers have one of the best pitching staffs last season. And they're returning it again this season. I think they'll pick up right where they left off. You had Corbin Burns winning the Cy Young last year. Brandon Woodruff was also, you know, insanely good. Both of those guys, Burns and Woodruff, were top four in ERA last year. They were dominating. That's a great one-two punch for the Brewers. Um, come back this year, I think they will um, continue that and have another successful 2022 season. And it's interesting because you look at a guy like Christian Yelich, right? The most talented player the Brewers have offensively. But it is weird because when they made a trade for Willie Adamas, a shortstop, which, okay, like, you know, he's a good player. Um, they made room for Wanda Franco in trading him, but it's like that trade somehow, for whatever reason, gave a massive spark to this Brewers team. When you look at the Brewers pre-Adamas, post-Adamas, this is two different teams. Brewers were a totally different team, so now you get Willie back for a full season. That, I think, will continue. And obviously, Christian Yelich, look, still a really good player, still a really damn good hitter. This Brewers team, I think, is going to repeat as NL Central champs. And run it back. Not thrilled. The Cubs right now are, are nowhere close. Um, not thrilled with the Cardinals. I got some injury concerns that I, you know I, I'm wary of. Pirates of the Pirates, as, as we know. Jeez, Pirates. Not even anywhere in, in the ballpark in terms of um, competing. And I don't. The Reds trading Jesse Winker this offseason and that kind of interesting trade 
kind of signals, I think, where they are, and that is more in the rebuild stage uh, than the contending stage. So I'll go with the Brewers, the NL Central, and of course, in the least shocking news possible, the Dodgers are going to win the NL West. I know. Hot take. Uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. missing three months is going to be a huge killer for the Padres. They just made a trade this morning. They finally got rid of Chris Paddock, so get a little more depth there. Um, but look, the Dodgers, the rich just get richer. This team is already loaded when you have Trey Turner, when you have Mookie Betts, when you have Max Munson, when you have Will Smith, when you have Walker Bueller um, as your ace, and they have a deep rotation as well and a really good bullpen. And of course, why not? Rich get richer, add Freddie Freeman, get one of the best bats, most consistent hitters in baseball, add him to the team, why not? Throw him in there. The rich just keep getting richer. The best team in baseball gets even better. To me, the Dodgers are going to run away with this division. I know the Giants had a really good year last year and kind of went all the way up to the end in trying to chase down the Dodgers uh, for the NLS crown. I think that the Giants will take a step back this year, and the Dodgers, again, got even better. I will go with LA to win the West. The three playoff teams, the three wild cards I'll go with, I'll go with the Mets. Call me a homer, but I do think the Mets have enough depth in the rotation to outlast the Jacob DeGrom injury to where even if he's out for the first half of the year, I think the Mets have enough with Chris Bassett, with Max Scherzer, to just ride out the storm for the first half of the year and come late July, early August, if if that's when DeGrom returns, I think the Mets will be a-okay with that. Francisco Lindor, I think, is going to have a big bounce back season this year after really struggling for most of the year last year. I am really believing here the Mets are going to actually, for the first time in a long time, have the expectations meet the hype. They today are a playoff team. I'm going to put the Padres in there as well. The Tatis, uh, Tatis injury, not great. You know, not uh, exactly thrilling that he um, is going to miss basically half the year. But I do think that when he does return, there's still enough talent on this Padres team overall to kind of like the Mets stay above water, just kind of tread a little bit until he does return. I think they'll make the playoffs. And I'm going to go with the Giants. Giants, I think they will take a step back um, compared to where they were last year as one of the best teams and one of the most surprising teams in all of baseball. I think they will make the playoffs as well. So I'll go the Mets, Padres, and Giants as the three playoff teams uh, in the NL. And for my World Series pick here, the big question of the morning, can anyone supplant the Dodgers? Can anyone take down LA and prevent them from winning their second World Series in three years? Me, the answer is no. I'm picking the Dodgers to win the World Series. I think they will take uh, take down the White Sox. White Sox make the World Series. I think the Dodgers will win the World Series. Trust me, I tried, folks. I love to kind of find that surprise team no one's talking about, go out on a limb and pick a team that I think could truly, you know, be a difference maker and, and truly at least um, win a World Series that's reasonable that no one's given. Like, that's a brag, but I do want to at least use this example here in picking Kansas for me as my champion. I'll be completely honest. A lot of that was luck. I saw a lot of brackets. People were picking Gonzaga, Arizona, Iowa, Duke, Auburn. I said, look, I got to be different here. I'm not going to go with, you know, the classic teams. I'm going to go with Kansas. And it worked out. But I can't in this scenario, I can't look around baseball and find the team where I can truly convince myself they're going to take down the Dodgers. I love to pick my Mets. I can't. I'd love to pick the Braves. Well, not, I wouldn't say love, but I would love to have another team take down the Dodgers in the NL. I can't do it. And I would love for a team in the AL to be able to take down the Dodgers. I can't see it. 
This to me is the Dodgers year, barring like three catastrophic injuries. They to me are winning the World Series. Who is your World Series champion? In your mind, which team is best positioned in order to take down the Dodgers and prevent them from winning the second World Series in three years? Love to get your thoughts here on Twitter at Ryan Hickey Show, WWSRN underscore radio. You can tweet me, uh, tweet me there. You can write on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Or you can find on YouTube, Worldwide Sports Radio Network as well. When we return on this Thursday, we did have Stefan Diggs uh, come to an agreement with the Bills yesterday in a big, fat contract extension. He is staying in Buffalo. As we know, there's been a lot of quarterback movement and a lot of wide receiver movement this offseason. So I'll ask you this. Who is the best wide receiver duo, wide receiver quarterback duo in the NFL? I'll give you my top five when we return us into the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back in to the Ryan Hickey Show on this Thursday morning. Trying as opening day is upon us. It is here for baseball. My big question this morning is, is anyone out there capable of slowing down the Dodgers? Is any team out there good enough to prevent the Dodgers from winning the second World Series in three years? Obviously, as we know, a very talented team already. They had Freddie Freeman this offseason. They trade for Craig Kimbrell recently. This, to me, Dodgers team is loaded. I think that they're going to win the World Series. I do. I really want to look for someone else who can't or can, do, can take him down. I can't. Zach Spaulding5 on Twitter tweets at Ryan Hickey Show. When I ask the question, who can take down the Dodgers this season? His answer, Dave Roberts. Dave Roberts, I love it. He's not wrong. Dave Roberts is both a management for sure. Some of his line decisions, very questionable. Very questionable at best. It's a good thing he got that World Series in 2020 because I'll be honest. I don't know if Dave Roberts had have a job. If they didn't win the World Series in 2020, got bounced by the Braves like they did again in 2021, I think there's a new manager in LA. I don't think it's Dave Roberts. He has definitely done his fair share of kind of slowing down and preventing what could have been, and frankly, what should have been, talent-wise, a Dodgers dynasty in baseball. So we're taking your thoughts here at, at Ryan Hickey Show and on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Ray Network. Which team or maybe which manager could derail the Dodgers from winning their second World Series in three years. So circle back to that conversation here a little bit. Also, 20 minutes from now, we'll get you ready for Tiger Woods as he's making his uh, Masters return. 11.04 a.m. Eastern is when he's teeing off. What should reasonable expectations be? I'll give you my answer uh, so you don't ruin Masters week uh, for yourself This in a, in a few minutes here. I'll give you that. But before that, yesterday, Stefan Diggs signed a, an extension with the, with the Bills. Four years, $104 million extension, uh, 70 mil guaranteed. He is staying in Buffalo. And that is one of the rare circumstances, rare cases where the, the receiver in Buffalo stays. As you know, it's been a massive offseason of switching quarterbacks and switching receivers. So a lot of quarterback-receiver duos that we thought and were some of the best have now disappeared. Rodgers Adams, no more. Hill Mahomes, no more. So where does the Diggs-Allen wide receiver duo rank? I'll give my top five here. Top five wide receiver quarterback duos heading into the 2022 NFL season. Number five, I have Tom Brady and Mike Evans. 
arguably the deadliest red zone combo in the NFL. For the last two years, Mike Evans, as we know, has been a touchdown machine. 14 touchdowns last year, 13 the year before that. Tom Brady showed no signs of slowing down, even with Bruce Arians retiring, even with Tom Brady himself retiring for all of 40 days, whatever that's worth. Um, Thomas showed no signs of slowing down. Last year, he led the league in attempts, completions, yards, touchdowns. I don't think he'll do that again next year, but I do think he'll be up there and still have a really successful season. And Mike Evans, he's been healthy. He's been a beast. He's been tough to slow down, especially with Chris Godwin coming off of the ACL injury last year. To me, I think this Brady-Evans connection is going to be better than ever, especially if Gronk does not return, which he's on the fence about uh, right now, as is anyway, whether he's going to play next year or not. He hasn't made a decision yet. If he doesn't play, that duo gets even better. I do think this Brady-Evans combo... Number five in the NFL for best quarterback wide receiver duos. Number four is a new one. The only newbie on this list, and that's Derek Carr and Devontae Adams. I mean, even without playing a snap together in the pros, this duo is absolutely top five in the NFL. You look at last year what Derek Carr did. Derek Carr, to his credit, because I have not been a fan, there's, to be fair to Derek Carr, not really many Derek Carr believers out there that he is this franchise guy that you come to a Super Bowl with. But to Derek Carr's credit, last year, unlike in 2020, unlike in 2019, he showed tremendous resiliency and consistency down the stretch. Like, you look at what the Raiders went through just off the field, right, with their Henry Ruggs stuff and the John Gruden and some other incidents and some other injuries that really hurt the Raiders. There was a lot of adversity the Raiders had overcome just to be able to get in the playoffs, and Derek Carr played his best football down the stretch without, by the way, a number one target because obviously Henry Ruggs was on the field. He was in jail. Derek Carr still played well. So now you add Derek Carr um, and you give him my, what I would say, the number one receiver in the NFL right now, Devonta Adams. This is going to be a great connection that's going to be almost hard to stop. And you think, too, and an important part here is you add Devonta Adams with Darren Waller, even to a lesser extent, Hunter Renfro and Josh Jacobs. Teams are not going to be able to double, uh, double cover Devonta Adams. Teams are not going to be able to take away Devonta because there are other weapons that are going to hurt teams and they got to devote resources equally to Adams and Waller. So you're going to get a lot of single coverage. I think a lot of favorable matchups for Devonta Adams. He's going to win those. Derek Carr has played consistent football recently down the stretch. I think he will play well. And these two have a history together. Now, I'm sure you've heard, but in case you haven't, these two, Devonta Adams and Derek Carr, were teammates before at Fresno State. Now, they played two years together in 2012 and 2013. Are you ready for these stats? Because it is insane how good this duo was. So in the two years they played together at Fresno State, the the Adams-Carr combo combined for 3,031 yards and 38 touchdowns. Over 3,000 yards and 38 touchdowns in two years together. Adams' senior year, he had 24 touchdown receptions. So you think that they're all of a sudden going to forget that chemistry, forget how to play with each other, even though it's a decade later? Absolutely not. This duo is going to be extremely hard to stop. I think even without playing a snap in the pros, it's already one of the best. I have the Carr Adams uh, quarterback receiver duo at number four. Number three, I will put in Diggs Allen. 
Stephon Diggs-Josh Allen has been one of the most consistent and dominant um, tandems in the NFL. And I think you can directly correlate Josh Allen's confidence and consistency with Stephon Diggs' arrival. Diggs has helped Allen grow arguably more than any other player and maybe even more than Brian Dayball because he helped transform uh, Josh Allen from who was an inconsistent quarterback who at times showed flashes but other times was making some boneheaded decisions. And he helped turn him, with the help of Brian Dayball, among other things, into an MVP caliber gunslinger. Like You bring the confidence that uh, Stephon Diggs brings. Then you bring his ability to get open, his reliability in terms of catching the ball, his ability to you know fight for it and basically be a reliable target. That helped Josh Allen grow immensely. And one of the biggest reasons why, like we said, Josh Allen in 2020 went from up and down in 2018 to MVP candidate and going to the AFC title game in 2020. And to their credit as well, this duo has been so successful in part with really no other threats around them. Like Cole Beasley, John Brown have been the number two receivers in Denver, uh, in Denver, in Buffalo each of the last two seasons. Cole Beasley, John Brown, having defense and shaking their boots? No. There's no reliable run game that the Bills can rely, can can lean on each last two seasons. It's been mostly on the back of Josh Allen and on the legs, if you will, and receiving and the hands, I guess we'll say, of Stephon Diggs. So even without another distraction on the field to take defense's attention away from Stephon Diggs, this has still been one of the best receiver quarterback combos in the NFL. Well, you look at Diggs' two years in Buffalo, he has 230 catches, 2,700 yards, 18 touchdowns. He has been tremendous. He has been consistently dominant. And this mutually beneficial duo, which Diggs helped Allen and Allen has helped Diggs big time, they won't be stopping anytime soon. This to me, the Stephon Diggs-Josh Allen combo number three terms of best quarterback receiver uh, duos in the NFL. Top two. So we have number five, Brady Evans. Number four, Derek Carr, Devonta Adams. Three, we just said Diggs Allen. Number two, I think, is Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow. Like You you see the start these two got off to last year. No duo has ever gotten off to a better start so young in their careers than what Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase were on last year. That level they were on was historic. Rookie record for Jamar Chase, 1,455 receiving yards. 13 touchdowns in the NFL, both good for third in all the NFL. Forget rookies, forget, you know, first-year players. 1,400 yards, 13 touchdowns, top five in each category for Jamar Chase. He completely took over games. It was by far the go-to receiver receiver anytime Joe Burrow needed a play to be made. They had T. Higgins, you had Tyler Boyd, you had Joe Mixon. You had TJ, uh, CJ Uzama. So there were plenty of weapons for Joe Burrow to throw the ball to at any given play. But when things got tight, when the game was coming down the stretch, when you needed a big play to be made, there was only one receiver Joe Burrow was looking at, and that was Jamar Chase. And more times than not, there was no defense that was stopping This connection was deadly. And again, we saw it in some of the biggest moments in the AFC title game. The go-ahead touchdown pass went to... Jamar Chase. In the Titans game, after the interception late by Ryan Tannehill, the Bengals still need to get a field goal range. One play. Who did uh, Joe Burrow target? Who did he throw to? Jamar Chase. The Chiefs regular season game. Who had one of the biggest days, over 200 receiving yards, three touchdowns in that game? Jamar Chase. 
This guy takes the top off of defenses. He's a massive threat run after the catch. He gets open. He's physical. He has the entire traits. He has everything you could possibly ask for for a receiver, and he did so in his rookie year. Oh, mind you, by the way, he had this tremendous rookie year where he set the rookie record for touchdown, uh, or sorry, for receiving yards. He was third in touchdown receptions and all the NFL 13. He did this, by the way, while not playing at LSU in 2020, while sitting that year out. So he came in rusty, we'll say, and put up those historic numbers right away. So now, with an offseason to work with Joe Burrow, to train, to have, you know, get everything going, I think they'll be even better. That's why I think this combo is ahead of Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. They're ahead of Derek Carr and Devonta Adams, ahead of Tom Brady and Mike Evans. This, to me, for what they did last year, the production they got, they're going to be even better this year. Not only because Jamar Chase now, you know, is coming off of playing a full season. Oh, by the way, look at what the Bengals did in the offseason. They shored up the biggest weakness on this team. That is their O-line. They got three new players that are going to start for this O-line. So guess what? Joe Burrow, now in theory, should have more time than he had even last year to find Jamar Chase. So Joe Burrow is going to have more time. They're going to be able to develop even more continuity in year number two together and Jamar Chase coming off of his first full season since 2019. This combo is going to be even better than they were last year. That's why for me, they are number two. And speaking of getting even better, The number one NFL quarterback receiver duo right now in the league, Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup. There's no other combo that could surpass them because one, this duo made history last year and kind of similar to Chase and Burrow, I think Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup will be even better next season together. Because when you look at what they did last year, with Cooper Cup having a historically dominant season, 145 catches, 1,947 receiving yards, 16 touchdowns, led the league in all three categories, won the Triple Crown. What was equally as impressive for me, and the reason why this duo was number one, is because you knew what was coming. You knew where Matthew Stafford was throwing the ball to. You knew who his main target was in Cooper Cup, and teams still couldn't stop it. You had Robert Woods for some of the year, yes. You had OBJ at other parts of the year, yes. But you look at the other, you know, duos we just mentioned. The Bengals had T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, C.J. Uh, Uzama, Joe Mixon. They had other avenues where defense had to worry about. Where if you want to double Jamar Chase, you couldn't do so. You have Tom Brady with Chris Godwin. You have Gronk out there. Like those other um, receivers and weapons gave defenses pause about double covering Mike Evans. Teams knew where Matthew Stafford was the ball to. It was going to Cooper Cup. And they still, still couldn't stop it. And then, if you look at what they did in the playoffs, right? Because you can look at the regular season, okay, fine. And what do you know about the playoffs? The playoff intensity rises. Defensive coordinators spend hours and hours and hours taking away what teams do well. Even though going to the playoffs, you knew who the Rams were throwing the ball to. Cooper Cup still led uh, everyone in the playoffs in receiving yards and touchdowns. And again... Teams had a chance to try to slow him down because they knew what was coming. Whether it was the regular season, whether it was the postseason, this duo was literally unstoppable. And I think they'll be even better in year two. I do. Now you get a full offseason together. You have a full year to work together. You're going to even you know get on the same page and get even more in sync. I think this 
Cup Stafford duo is going to be by far again the best wide receiver quarterback duo in the NFL. So I'm curious your thoughts here. I have Cup Stafford one, Burrow Chase two, Diggs Allen three, Carr Adams four, Brady Evans five. Who is the best wide receiver quarterback duo in the NFL? Is there anyone in your mind that could supplant Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup? Love to hear your thoughts on Twitter at Ryan Hickey Show. Love to hear your thoughts also on uh, Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, and on YouTube, Worldwide Sports Radio Network as well. When we return, we get you set for Tiger Woods' Masters return. What should expectations be for Tiger this weekend? I'll tell you what they should be when we return. Listen to the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back in to the Ryan Hickey Show on this Masters Thursday. Where else but the Worldwide Sports Radio Network? We appreciate you making us part of your morning. So Tiger Woods getting set to tee it up here in just about 20 minutes or so. 11.04 Eastern is when he'll tee it up. Let's, before anything happens, let me just get out the, this out there right now. Realistically, Tiger Woods, the only expectation any of us should have for him this week is just finishing the round he plays. Finishing today, waking up tomorrow, feeling good enough to play another 18 tomorrow, and that's it. As long as he could play 36 holes between today and tomorrow, that should be the only expectation for anyone this week. That should be the only hope. Forget about winning Forget about being in contention. Forget about even making the cut. I think there's a lot of realistic, uh, unrealistic expectations out there because we can't forget the journey Tiger took just to get here. I get sure Tiger was asked earlier this week, Tiger, do you think you can win? And he said those two magical words that sent everyone into a frenzy. I do. That got fans excited. That got Vegas excited. He's 17th in terms of uh, best odds to win the Masters. My uh, fear is that we are setting our expectations too high for Tiger and are setting ourselves up for disappointment if he falls short of winning the green jacket, although I know a majority aren't expecting him to win, if he's not in contention, or even if he misses the cut, even if he finishes dead last in this tournament, even if he is 91st out of 91 golfers and just is 30 over par by the time tomorrow ends and it's mercifully, okay, he's done. It is still a win. It is still a massive win for golf and a massive win for Tiger Woods because just the fact that he is playing 14 months after an accident in which he could have lost his life, could have lost his leg, the fact that he is back now on the course playing in the Masters, that should be a, a win in and of itself. No more expectations other than him just playing 36 holes and just being there. If he makes the cut, tremendous. I personally don't think he will. But if he does, awesome. If he's in contention, even better. If he wins a thing, it's one of the most impressive physical achievements any athlete will ever have in the history of sports and would arguably be the greatest major win and maybe overall win in, in golf history. It would by far blow his 2019 Masters win out the window. It would be incredible. But the thing is, we can't, I feel like we can't expect a ton from Tiger because guess what? We can't just pretend like the car accident didn't happen. That viral clip earlier this week went crazy where Tiger Woods said, I do, when he was asked if he thinks he can win the Masters. A, a, a clip that did not go as viral, 
uh, clip that people did not talk about as much was the fact that earlier in the day, Tiger Woods was talking to Sirius XM PGA Tour Radio, and he said basically the hardest part for me this week is walking. He could swing the golf club, he can putt, he can chip. The physical toll, though, of walking is going to be the biggest challenge. Does he feel like he can play? I mean, he didn't even know the answer until yesterday. Let's not forget, Tiger Woods wasn't officially in the tournament, wasn't officially enrolled and was going to say he was playing until yesterday. He wanted to see how his body felt. Even in that Tuesday press conference where he said he thinks he can win the Masters, he still said, by the way, I got to see how I feel on Wednesday. I want to play nine more holes to make sure my body's up for it, and then I'm going to make the decision of whether I could play or not. He doesn't even know physically if he can be able to make it through 36 holes. So let's all of a sudden not start, you know, setting our expectations and start thinking about 2019 all over again. Remember where Tiger was. And remember the fact that, by the way, he has now played in a tournament since the 2020 Masters back in November, a year and a half ago. I get he played with his son, Charlie, in a recent event. It's, you know, a father-son event. He was in a cart. It's nowhere near the level of intensity, competition, or physicality compared to what he's facing this week at Augusta. So take all of that into account here. Again, Tiger is about to tee off in about 15 minutes or so. Just remember that as he gets ready to play this week. It is tremendous. I'm excited. Don't get me wrong. This is not trying to poo-poo Tiger or try to pour cold water on everyone's excitement. This is me trying to temper expectations so that when I'm not sitting here tomorrow night on Twitter seeing people crush Tiger or people being upset or disappointed that by Saturday or Sunday, even if Tiger makes the cut, he's nowhere near the top of the leaderboard. Just remember, it is a minor miracle that he is even here right now. Let's take that into account and let's just be happy that Tiger is playing. So for me, the only expectation I have this this weekend is for him to play. As long as he tees it up in 12 minutes, can get through the round, come back on Friday and get through that round and play 36 holes, I think that to me, that's a massive win. That is a massive win, whether he's in first or whether he's in last. The fact that just Tiger is back on the golf course is obviously great for golf. It's great for everyone involved. It's tremendous for the Masters. It's even better for ESPN Plus right now, who are definitely going to have Tiger as a feature group and are going to get a lot of subscriptions. If you are not already subscribed to ESPN Plus, they're going to blow it out in terms of subscriptions for people wanting to watch Tiger today. But let's just not forget, or let's not be disappointed if we see Tiger struggle. Because again, I think it's more likely than not. I've seen a lot of expectations get raised. see a lot of talk about him being in contention, finishing in the top 10, maybe winning a six Masters, you know, making the cut even. Again, the betting odds, he's top 20 in terms of winning. Let's pump the brakes. And again, remember, number one, this is his first tournament in a year and a half. Number two, physically, he's still not even sure if he can finish 36 holes. It's a grind. It's wear and tear. So before we get disappointed, temper your expectations and realistically look what to expect. I, for me, just expect him to finish and that's my only hope. Doesn't matter what he shoots, as long as he finishes and he's out there, it's great and it's great return. I'm not going to be disappointed if he finishes last. I'm not going to be disappointed if he's nowhere near contention, makes the cut, but is nowhere near the top of the leaderboard. Just remember that as Tiger does tee off today. So very excited again. Tees off in about 10 minutes or so from now. Looking forward to it. Got the Masters on in the background, ready to go as soon as the show ends. Very excited, looking forward to it. I'm going to go Brooks Kepka to win. My guy Brooks, bounce back, kind of coming out of nowhere to take the uh, the green jacket yet again. So we'll go with Brooks to win, but should be a blast. I'm so excited. It's opening day. If your team is playing today, let's go. Let's go Mets. If you couldn't tell, wearing the Mets jersey today. 
Masters Thursday going to be a great weekend. So this is, I mean, when I tell you and I sign off here as we wrap up the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, when I always say, you know, enjoy your weekend, you are definitely enjoying this weekend. Baseball's back and the Masters are back. You can't ask for a better combo uh, this weekend for sure. So enjoy that. I know you will. We will be back on Monday, of course, to break it all down. So have a great weekend. Stay safe. Stay sane. And we'll talk to you after what is going to be a jam-packed weekend. We'll talk to you Monday morning, 9 a.m. right here at Royals for the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.